Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast night on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard this inspirational flight with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, Mr. Man of Purpose himself, your host, J.R. Dicklin. Tonight, welcome to Hope and Healing, our journey to wholeness. I'm so glad that you've joined us here tonight, right here on the Soul of America Radio. I'm your host, J.R. Ficklin, and I welcome you as we do every Monday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock there in the Central Time Zone, uh, of course, 7 o'clock there in the Mountain Time Zone, and 6 o'clock for all my friends that are there on the West Coast. And we're so glad to have you with us today, and I pray that you've had a tremendous weekend, and I wish I could really say I wish there was a weekend that was event-free, that there was no brokenness, there was no hurting, there was no violence, there was no abuse, there was none of those things, but unfortunately, that's not the case. Too often we continue to see the plight of violence happening in our society. We continue to see it happening in our families, violence against women, violence against children, violence against men, and it continues to go on in our society. And one of the greatest concerns, I think, is that we become a nation that has developed a culture of violence, and as a result of it, we become desensitized. It doesn't truly trouble us or bother us, uh, no matter what length of violence that we see happen or perpetrated. We tend to just pull it all together and keep going, or we even uh, we don't even take the time to look back on what really has occurred, but I want to really challenge each, each and every one of you tonight, every one of you that are listening tonight, uh, to develop a conscience. I want you to listen very carefully tonight, because there are some things that have happened, um, and, uh, and, and it's a real thing, it's a real thing that it's happening all throughout our society, and it's not just affecting one group of people. I have to say this, you know, domestic violence definitely crosses every social, economic, and ethnic line, but I would be remiss if I didn't let you know that domestic violence definitely disproportionately, disproportionately affect women of color uh, at a greater rate than any other group, and so that is something to be concerned about because of the fact, you know, we have to examine the dynamics. Have we become a tolerant society? Have we conditioned our women and our society to accept to uh, accept violence as the norm? And if you accept it as the norm, then let me say something. We then are creating a culture. We're creating a culture of, uh, of, of violence, and we are training the next generation to be violent. And so we have a responsibility, each and every one of us, because one thing that I do know about abuse, about violence, about hurt, and about pain, especially when it happens in a home, what we continue to do is per, uh, perpetuate this to the next generation. And we cannot afford to do so, because like, unlike any other violence, 
Domestic violence is homegrown. It is the only place where we grow the next generation of batterers and oftentimes the next generation of victims. So there's so much to talk about on this show as we deal with hope and healing, a journey to wholeness. If you're listening to us by Blog Talk Radio, if you're listening online at www.soulofamericaradio.com, Right there on the left side, you got hope and healing. That's what you have, hope and healing. That is our tab, and that tab is there for what reason? The reason is there for you to be able to hit that tab, hope and healing, and that will allow you to uh, get right in so that you can listen to us. Now, those of you that are calling in, you're calling in on area code 323-784-9638, and as you call in, you can call in and you can just simply listen. Or if you like to have something to say, a comment, or like to ask a question there, simply hit the number one. Once you hit the number one, uh, the engineer will know, uh, will notify me, and I will definitely get you on the air because I believe there's much to talk about today. I'm excited tonight because I do have a special guest, and I was hoping to have her on last week with us as we began to uh, address the issue there with what took place in Kansas City just two weeks ago. And what took place there was a very much of a horrific tragedy that took place there between the Kansas City Chief linebacker there, uh, Javon, uh, it's his first name, and uh, a murder-suicide. Uh, he took the life of his uh, girlfriend, fiance, and the mother of their three-month-old child. So I do have uh, Sonny that's going to be on with us tonight as well. But I want you to do me a favor tonight. Just before we get into the meat of this, I want you to call a friend, call a neighbor, tell them that hope and healing, a journey to wholeness is on the airway, and they can reach us right here on soulofamericaradio.com, and they can also dial in at every code 323-784-9638. I'm telling you, the show has been doing absolutely tremendous. Um, the number of calls that continue to come in, the number of people that are viewing our archives each and every week and every day has been absolutely tremendous, and I'm very grateful for you that are listening today. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to go to the next step. Tell somebody about it. This show could literally save someone's life, and I hope that that is the case tonight. So listen, what I want to do tonight, I want to recap some things, and I'm going to get our uh, our guest is going to join us. On last week, there were a couple of tragedies that happened. As I mentioned, uh, the linebacker for the Kansas City Chief of the 25-year-old, uh, Javon, was uh, – there on last week, the other week there, as you may have heard that he not only uh, shot her several times, shot his fiancée and the mother of their three-month-old kid, but then he drove to the stadium where he plays uh, football linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs. He is a guy who has a tremendous story in the fact that he was not drafted. He was actually a walk-on. He made the team, had been starting games, had just renewed a contract here, and seemingly was doing well. But in the in, 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 in the lieu of all of that, he ended up not only killing um, he ended up killing his fiance, but he also ended up taking his life right there at the uh, Kansas City Chiefs Stadium. And then not only that, we're going to also address the issue, another issue that might not have gotten as much play, but here's an issue that took place in Pennsylvania here on the same exact weekend where a Pennsylvania man shot his ex-wife at church. All right, you can adjust your volume. I'm telling you exactly what happened. He shot his ex-wife at church, folks. There is no safe haven anymore, seemingly because of the uh, the wickedness of men. And when I say men, not just a gender. I'm talking about mankind. This was an elementary school music teacher that shot his ex-wife while she played the organ during church service. And after leaving there, 
briefly, he returned and shot her again to ensure that she was dead, according to the police. So we're going to address both of those situations there in just a second here. But today, uh, as you're listening here, I want to welcome a very dear friend of mine, a special guest that's all with me who has been a tremendous advocate inside of not only violence, uh, domestic violence, uh, human trafficking, and so many other things. I want to welcome tonight to Hope and Healing, Miss Sonny Slaughter. Good evening, Sonny. Are you with us? I'm with you, Jay. How are you? I'm doing absolutely great, but you know I'm fired up and I'm and I'm just totally up to here as we continue to see the proliferation of violence in our society and even more so the violence that we're finding against women, against children, things that are happening in our society that seemingly that we become desensitized to. And I know that you, I mean, if folks that don't know you, uh, uh, one of the strongest uh, uh, advocates out there uh, for, uh, you know, against violence, against violence, against women, against violence of every sort. And uh, one of the very, very uh, uh, small minority of advocates that will call a spade a spade, regardless of who is the perpetrator or who is the victim. And, uh, and I know that you've probably already had much discussion about the case there that occurred in Kansas City here over a week ago, but I definitely want to revisit this with you tonight. What is right. your take on what has taken place here? Oh, well, first, Jay, let me say thank you so much for having me on the show this evening. Um, it's so important that we continue to have this conversation and not think that um, one case looks like the other or one case is more important than the other because all of the victims are just that, victims, and we need to recognize, remember, and try to decide how we can, as a society, change the level of violence that continues to happen throughout our communities all over the country. And I think your show is very powerful and very necessary. Um, it's a medium that needs to continue to take place um, always. But as it relates to the Kansas City murders and homicide, wow, you know, two young people, how do we, first of all, get beyond the fact that they were two young people? Let's remove him from the NFL and just say this was a young man with um, with trouble. He and um, Javon and, you know, Cassandra, uh, new, new parents, new parents to a three-month-old, and, you know, the fact that, that he shot her as many times as, as he did, nine times, that is really um, significant in and of itself because you're talking about a level of violence that is so uh, horrific. Um, it, it's overkill, really. And then the fact that he went to um, the Kansas City Chiefs um, location and he said to the owners and, and to the managers and everything, I just want to thank you for all that you've done. He really misstepped a few things because he had forgotten what she had just done for him. She was the mother of his child. She had just given him um, a baby, new life. They were new parents, and whatever was going on with them was going on for a long time because uh, we call that, um, I'm a law enforcement instructor for the Department of Homeland Security, and when I train law enforcement across the country, one of the things that we talk about is lethality indicators. Let exactly. me say that again, lethality indicators. And and those are things that um, indicate the level 
of violence that can potentially happen once you go in and um, investigate a crime scene. And a crime scene doesn't have to be a homicide Suicide, a crime scene for domestic violence would be just any incident in which law enforcement responds to a potential call of domestic violence across the country. And when you start looking at, one of the things that we always train them to look at is uh, previous calls, and even though there may not be any previous um, reported incidents, there still may be calls that have made, been made out. There may have been neighbors that have called. There may be um, incidents in the family that weren't reported to law enforcement, but when people begin to look back, they see, well, you know, this was potentially something. And as a society, one of the things that we also have to do is, is call it what it is. You know, we say, well, they were having an argument. Well, were they having an argument or were they having a physical fight? Because that's two different things. And I think and you're so very time. right about that because people tend to, to minimize that, and that's one of the things that we have to do. Right. I, I'm quite sure you've heard it yourself, even when people talk about these incidents. And I love the way that you uh, that you definitely frame this, that we have to reduce it to the fact that these were two young people, regardless of status of him being a Kansas City NFL player, it doesn't matter. These are two young right. lives. But I think that you said something that I think people need to understand because we have a tendency to under, or should I say minimize, really what happens inside of domestic violence. This was not a lover's quarrel. This was not right. some little argument. This was not some disagreement. And, and, you know, this was much greater than that, and it had escalated to a point. And you, you, you said something so great, and I definitely on the other side of the break, I want to start with that because I think you said something that I think everyone need to clearly hear here. This isn't something that just happened that moment. There are some things that had been going on there, and he made a decision. He made a decision that day to unload, literally unload on her nine times. Nine times. You put right. you put lead into flesh and blood. Nine times. You know, you 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 uh, you assured literally that the mother of your three month old child wouldn't be around. Right. And, and then okay. you make it to the uh, to the facility where you play ball and literally say to the owner and say to even Coach uh, Romeo uh, Cremel there, thank you for what you've done for me. And then right. you end your own life. There's much to talk about on, on side of that, Sonny. I think that the people that are listening, are, and definitely we have a board full of calls right now, we have a lot of people that are there that are just hanging on that are listening as well there. But listen, this is a real serious subject matter. And you were talking about the lethality assessment, and uh, and that's very important. And people need to understand that really because, in fact, this is how things are determined. The lethality assessment is something that you are teaching law enforcement, and that's something that you're talking about. But it's also things that inside of advocacy that we deal with with victims when we try to measure what is really, what is really the level of threat, what is the level of danger that is there. And I want us to pick up with that as soon as we come back from the break. You're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. I'm your host, J.R. Thicklin, and you're listening right here on Soul of America Radio. And I am so very glad to have with us a very special guest, uh, Ms. Sonny Slaughter, who's absolutely uh, incredible, has been in this field doing a lot of great things. So right on the other side of the break, I want you to call in. If you have a question, hit the number one on your keypad, and we acknowledge your call. And until that time, I'll see you on the other side of the break.
Journey to Wholeness with Jay Thickland after this. This is the soul of America Radio. and healing a journey to wholeness with your host J.R. Thicklin and remember you can catch this show every Monday night 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 8 o'clock p.m. Central and give them a call tonight at 
that are occurring and not just make like they're they're not important because they are extremely important. More and more we're seeing homicides that are taking place across the country where um, people are being murdered. The murder-suicide thing is occurring so much more than it has been in the past, and and it's crossing all racial barriers, all social barriers. It's crossing all types of relationships. We just had a homicide um, suicide here in Birmingham, Alabama, that involved a son and his mother. We don't know all of the details as to what occurred, but that just happened last weekend too. So and what so is going on in America that that these type of violent acts are occurring between, as we call, intimate partners? And intimate doesn't mean sexual; it just means people that have a relationship that extends beyond, you know, just somebody that you meet in the street or somebody that you know. And and we're seeing it happen. You point out some very important things because even right about now, the holiday period and times that we're seeing look like an escalation of this because in the same weekend where we had the situation there with with, uh, the Kansas City player and, and Cassandra, uh, Perkins, there. You know, the reality is is that there was a there was a situation there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that took place at the church. I mean, listen, the church. A man goes right. into the church and shoots his ex-wife. I mean, while she is playing the organ. I want people to hear this today, because listen, this is an ex-wife that he goes into the church. She was an elementary uh, school music teacher, and, and <laughs> well, actually. Uh, uh, he was elementary school, uh, school music teacher, shot his ex-wife while she played the organ. Listen, lifting up praise to God, he shot her while she played the organ during the church service. And after after leaving for a brief period of time, he returned back to shoot back. again to make that's sure right. she's dead. Said, to make sure that she was dead. That that's it. To make sure that she was dead. When I when I read that part, I was like, wow. He left and then came back in a few minutes later and shot her several more times because he wanted to make sure that she was dead. Now, these were um, adults. Right, 52 and 53 years old, yes. Yes. So where does this level of violence come from in our society? How have we gotten so far beyond people learning to walk away from one another and, and just commit these type of heinous crimes that happen any place, anywhere, at any time in front of anyone, and they don't care about the repercussions. And that's the sad part, not caring about the repercussions. There is a culture of violence that has has been created in our society in the good old U.S. of A. And not only is there a culture of violence, there's a tolerance of this type of violence that we, yeah. must, we must examine from the very core. You know, there's an old Ashanti proverb that says that the ruin of a nation begins in the homes of its people. And that's what we're right. seeing happening in America. You mentioned the murder-suicide, and then when they take on the other level, the formalicide that we continue to see happen. And although it crosses every social, economic, line and ethnic line, what has truly troubled me over the over the last many years is that I could recall, and this is not just a myth, but I could recall there was a time that you did not see uh, African Americans that would take out the whole family. 
Uh, you know, exactly. hey, you may take out the family, but not me. You know, I might kill right. them, but I'm not killing myself. And unfortunately, exactly. I could tell you that especially uh, I've seen it in not only the South Florida area, I've seen it in other parts of the country. This is becoming more and more the case. Uh, uh, I sit on the statewide from, uh, domestic violence fatality review team uh, for the state of Florida, and I continue to see these cases come up. And I'm telling you, you made a great point. We just point out the age of the couple there in Pennsylvania being like 53 and 52 years old. Now, we have younger couples that we just talked about with Javon and with Cassandra being age 22 and 25. And then, right. I, and then I highlighted here just the other week uh, a case here where we had a young man here in uh, South Florida, 18-year-old, shoots and kills his 16-year-old girlfriend repeatedly. And these things are happening on every level. And the reality is, is that how is it that these things can continue to happen and no one takes a real serious look at what's going on because of the fact, for whatever reason, that embracing of violence and that tolerance of violence has to stop. And, you know, Jay, we're we're talking about, um, you know, the, the age gap and, and then you just spoke about the um, – culture gap and, and, the, and the racial gap, you know, and you and I several years ago when we met in, um, I think it was, where were we, Dallas? Or Dallas, Tennessee, yes. And we were um, talking with the Institute on Domestic Violence in the African American Community, and we were having these conversations about family and, and violence in the families and violence across, you know, racial and social and cultural backgrounds and, and, and what we were seeing. This is almost a... A, an unfortunate revelation of what we were talking about as violence was escalating even back then, and that was probably what two or three years ago exactly. that we were having that conversation. So we're we're not getting any better at what we're doing. You're it's exactly not that we're right. not doing enough. It's just that people are getting to the point where they just really don't care anymore. And there was something that the Kansas City um, um, coach said. Um, and several people have said that I'm, I really don't want us to play into. They said, well, the person snapped. Well, actually, right. when you start talking about domestic violence and you're talking about the control of violent behavior, people don't snap. No, what and they I don't do believe is they respond. Snap at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't snap. They respond. And what they do is they respond with a level of control that is immediate, that is um, extinctive. And when I say extinctive, if that's even a a word in, in the Webster's Dictionary, it probably, if it's not, it, it should be, but that's where you just totally take somebody out. You know, somebody, it just becomes extinct. They are removed, um, and then they remove themselves. That is not, that is controlled. That is such a controlled behavior, and you do things that are very specific. And exactly. you know exactly what you're doing. And if we start playing into that people have snapped role, then what we're going to do is we're going to open up the door for people that don't commit the murder, I mean the suicide, homicide, to give them an opportunity to say, well, I just snapped momentarily. No, you didn't. Yeah, and that leads into this whole thing about temporary insanity, and I think it's so very important. And this is the reason that we, when we talk about domestic violence or intimate partner violence, it differs from other types of violence because of that, uh, that whole dynamic. The fact that right. one feels that they have the right to have a certain amount of control over an individual changes the whole level, uh, a playing field, and we see it. Now, let's let's address this because, you know, one of the most uh, questions that's asked also is the fact 
I mean, what could be going on? He's made it. He's in the NFL. He's got plenty of money. You know, they got these things. What could have happened? And I think that what this proves, and it continues to prove, money doesn't necessarily buy happiness, and money, guess what? doesn't necessarily buy control because to a certain right. degree, a person, I mean, a person have a right to exist. They have a right to express themselves independently, and you don't own them because you have money, and you don't, and it doesn't mean that you're at peace because you have money, and yet it's still, we continue, and this is a problem that I'm, this is a problem that I hope everyone sees because in our society, where we're encouraging our young boys to grow up, be good athletes, you can make it to the NFL, you can make it to the NBA, you can make it to Major League Baseball, and all those things there. What good is all of that if you don't, if you haven't mastered self-control, if you haven't mastered right. your, your sense of value? How do you see a woman? How do you value her? How do you see her in what light? Because if you're seeing her as an object, if you're seeing her as someone that is your possession, if you're seeing her as someone that you can control, then you have you, your money or your skill have not profited you much of anything. And that's my problem is because so many of our young boys and our young people are looking up to these types these individuals and don't understand that the greater lesson that they need to learn is really about their own self-control about the way they value and how they look at uh, at women how they look at relationships right and and it's it's detrimental to our society to allow people in out when they have this type of behavior because it just allows others to say huh i could just not kill myself and use right. this defense and yeah, that's absolutely. not good. You're absolutely it's right. Never, it's never good. Um, and, and the incident at the church was so heartbreaking because, you know, she was the Sunday school choir uh, teacher, director. She was behind the organ. So imagine all of the people who are now adversely affected just by the mere sight of that incident. Exactly. And then the location. People come there to worship, but they will remember this for the rest of their lives, and so will other people. Um, You're exactly right. and Cassandra, you know, the three-month-old Zoe, when when she grows up, this is the thing that she will know about her parents. Right. She won't even know who they were before this because this will be such an overshadowing reminder of what happened in her life before her life truly began. Exactly. And unfortunately, we live in a day and time where it will be at her fingertips, a matter of Google, and it will come up. And not to mention there will be enough said to remind her. Listen, we're right up on a break again and everything. Listen, you're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. I'm J.R. Thickland, and you're listening with our very special guest, Miss Sonny Slaughter is here. And we're discussing not only the proliferation of domestic violence that we've seen in our society over the last few weeks, but the culture of violence that continue to happen. And perhaps you're listening tonight, and perhaps you know of someone who's in an abusive relationship, and perhaps you have a question. Right on the other side of the break, you can join us at area code 323-784-9638. That's area code 323-784-9638, and we'll be so glad to take your call. Uh, stay tuned. Right on the other side of the break, we're going to come back and continue now to discuss this, but some other uh, uh, very uh, incredible information. Thank you so very much. Hey, 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 hey
coast to coast, east to west. This is the Soul of America Radio. My name is Bernadette Stannis, and you know me as Thelma from the TV show Good Times. And I am hanging out with Tony on the Soul of America Radio. It doesn't stay in the present. It always affects the future. 
It does, and it, it's such a hard crime, you know, to, to, to deal with because you're talking about usually two people that were in a relationship that had feelings for one another, that at one time loved one another, and then it be it ends so violently. Exactly. And, and it may not be a homicide, suicide, but even the physical act of violence or the emotional act of violence, and we do need to talk about um, domestic violence in, in that area as well, that it doesn't always have to be physical. But e- domestic violence is emotional, psychological, and it can have a long-term effect that can be damaging not only to the direct victim, but I also call them the indirect victims. And then it, um, I wrote a paper a while ago, um, several years ago, called The Collateral Damage. And um, domestic violence has collateral damage that, that sometimes people don't even Imagine, but it affects everyone who can be potentially close to the victim and even the perpetrator and the alleged perpetrator. And, um, you know, let me say this about domestic violence and and those incidents where there's not a homicide, suicide. People can change because domestic violence and that type of behavior is um, what I call it's a CDL. That's um, choice-driven life. Okay, and you can choose to change the direction of your life and and how you operate and and what you do. Uh, a CDL is a type of license that a lot of people get, and it goes beyond their ordinary driver's license. And and this choice-driven life for for perpetrators can be changed. They can take their own vehicle of life and and change the direction and say, you know what, I don't want to go down this path any longer. Let me stop this behavior. Let me find a way to channel this type of of violent tendencies that I have, whether it's physical, social, um, emotional, uh, psychological, and and let me make a difference by by turning myself around so I can help others. And so when when I hear you say that, and and it's so refreshing, and that's what I meant, because let's face it, we don't hear a whole lot of advocates in the field talk about that part. Am I right or wrong? We we tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't we don't really talk about the hope that can a person change that is abusive? Uh, yes, they right. can. But they have to number one want to change, and that want to change has to happen because they realize that what they're doing is wrong. What they're doing is not healthy. What they're doing is unacceptable. They can't right. just say they want to change because, well, I'll change if you don't leave me. I'll change if you know if you'll stay with me. You know that that is not that's not a real genuine uh, you know uh, catalyst for change. But we do know that they can change, and that's why I think that uh, Sonny that is so important that we have to also trumpet that message. We have to trumpet that message to every perpetrator, and I do know that there are women perpetrators, but I want to speak specifically to the men for a second because men have to understand we can change. We have to understand that only between 15 and 20% of perpetrators are men. Uh, should I say only 15 to 20% of men perpetrate? Let me make sure I get that right. one right. Only, so that right. means there's a good 80 to 85% of us that do not. And so my call and my charge to every man that that hear me, that is under the sound of our voice, is the fact we have to rise up. We have to help hold our brothers accountable. We have to encourage them and let them know that, listen, man, you can change if you desire to and, and that what you're doing is unacceptable and you can relearn better behavior. 
Exactly. You can learn. And and let me say something to, to the victims out there, that, you know, you don't have to tolerate this. You don't have to think nobody else is going to want you, that you can't get out, that you that you can't um, change even your response to all of this. And your a victim's response is almost as critical as a perpetrator's uh, reaction and, and their behavior. They have to, one, you know, a lot of times when I meet with victims and, and I'll go to um, the hospital here and I'll sit with victims and most advocates, what they say is, okay, well, you got to leave and you got to do this and, and you have to do that. And I'm, I don't operate that way. What I always ask victims is, tell me what you want to do. Because we know and statistics tell us that victims, they go back at least seven to nine times, if not more. Exactly. And the reason why they go back is sometimes they don't have a safety plan, but a lot of times there's so many mitigating factors, and we say, well, why do the people stay? They stay for so many reasons. And we as a society also have to stop judging the victims. They stay for the children. They stay for economic reasons. So many reasons. They stay for social reasons. They stay for so many reasons. But victims have to understand that they have a right to leave, and they have a right to be safe. And I don't ever say, well, you have to leave. And you, I said, tell me what you want to do. Very because crucial. this is a relationship. This is two people who are involved in a relationship that involves feelings, emotions, and love. And what I always say, if you're going to stay, let me teach you how to be safe. And let me tell you where to get help. And that's where those telephone numbers come in. That's where resources and services come in. And the one thing that I want to say about the Kansas City Chiefs and, and entities like the NFL, I have reached out to them to um, see how we can change the dynamics of those situations. But People have to know what resources are available. They have to know Absolutely. where to get where to get help from, and that we have to have realistic help for um, victims. You know, Alabama is, is a state that is ranked extremely high in the number of reported incidents of domestic violence, which usually covers um, some 100,000 persons, and, and that's how that is categorized. But you know, here in Jefferson County, uh, in the city of Birmingham, and um, in the state of Alabama. You know, we have some over 4,000 reported incidents of domestic violence, um, and that covers five categories, rapes, robberies, homicides, aggravated assaults, and simple assaults. And that may not seem like a lot, but that's just the reported incident that is reported for that particular report. We can get 50,000 calls in the city of Birmingham and across this metropolitan area. That's a lot of calls. That's a, that lot, a lot of people of calls. who are hurting. and and sometimes, you know, people don't know where the resources are, but we have to have realistic resources. And when a victim is hurting, you know, they don't want to go to ten different places. No, and they, they don't. They can't do that. They can't go and what, you know, a lot of states have PFAs, and those are protection from abuse orders. You have to know what the statutes and the codes are in your particular state, in your particular area, What um, whether they uh, – we do a 12-hour hold here, and that is – um, and that's where the alleged perpetrator, and I always say alleged because until there's an actual conviction, you have to say alleged. Uh, the alleged perpetrator is arrested and held for 12 hours. And in that 12-hour window, the reason why we do 12 hours is to give the alleged victim an opportunity to 
gather things, and to leave the situation. Because a lot of times that can, 12 hours can help save somebody's life. But you need to know where the resources are in your communities, uh, whether it's the churches, whether it's um, victim service centers, how law enforcement responds. All of those things are critical and important. And then more importantly, you also have to know what the courts are doing. Absolutely. You know, you said something very important. I know that we're up on uh, only about 15 minutes left in the show, so I'm going to do this real quickly and get right back to that. If you're listening tonight, uh, area code 323-784-9638, you have a question or if you have a comment, uh, you know, please hit the number one on your keypad. We will acknowledge it. Now, we only have 15 minutes uh, left on this call. I don't know if our producer and engineer could uh, hear me or not. I don't know if there's anything that we can do to extend a, a show another 30 minutes or not. I don't know. I'm quite sure uh, if we can, he will let me know. But, listen, we have about less than 15 minutes left on the show, and I want to make sure those of you that are listening today uh, get a chance to voice your comment or if you have a question there. And I want to go back to what you're saying. Knowing, speaking of knowing resources, I want to give out, since this is a national show, I'm going to give out the National Domestic Violence Hotline number, which is one 800 799 that's 1-800-799-7233. And I'm going to also give the Florida uh, Domestic Violence Hotline. And, Sonny, please feel free to give Alabama. You know, that's my affinity. Alabama's my home. Uh, so uh, the Florida <laughs> Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-500-1119, 1-800-500-1119. And uh, please feel free, uh, Sonny, to give out any numbers that you may have, uh, even for those callers or listeners that may be listening across the Alabama uh, uh, area. Okay, um, <clears throat> uh, hold on a second here, because, of course, I, I don't have all of my stuff up, but um, let me see what our uh, hotline here is, 1-800-799-7233, and that's in the um, state of Alabama. And what you can do is, wherever you're, you live, you can just go on and um, Google whatever state that you're in, and Google domestic violence um, state hotlines and advocacy, and that they will give you that information. That information is available online to anyone, and you can just contact that telephone number. And they have networks throughout this, each of the cities across the states that can also assist you as well. And if you, you know, also let me, let me say this real quick, Jay. We have um, incidents of sexual violence that also occur um, as it relates to domestic violence as well. So there's also coalitions sometimes called the um, Coalitions Against Sexual Violence. You can look up those. There are a lot of dynamics when you start talking about domestic violence and relationships, and we need to make sure that people are aware of those resources. And I'm glad that we are talking about resources because I know people can go back and listen to the archives of this um, uh, segment and and, and get some better understandings about how to get help because we always talk about the problems. We just really don't talk about what's necessary to get help. And um, you got to have a plan. You can't, you know, a lot of times people just say, oh, you should just leave. Well, when you have children, you can't just leave. Children are in school. You have other family members. And when you go to other family members, if you just leave one location to another, sometimes we have incidents at those second locations. So we call them secondary crime scenes. And exactly. you, you just have to really know what you're doing and have a plan and and have a way to be safe, stay safe. And and perpetrators or alleged perpetrators, you need to figure out how to get help. And you if you call, 
you know, if you call the police department, they usually have resources that can tell you, you know, how to get help. And, you know, here in the city of Birmingham, um, Alabama, uh, we have a police department. The Birmingham Police Department has a specialized unit, in fact, probably one of the only specialized units of its kind, maybe even the country. I know it's the only one of its kind in the state, and it's called Project SAFE. And Project SAFE is the social services arm of the Birmingham Police Department. And I work with the social workers over there a lot. Uh, We do a lot of training. We do a lot of conferences. We're doing one in April. And um, it's really great to have those partnerships in states where you can pull together resources, information, and services. Law enforcement and victim service providers can come together. Not only do they get the training that they need, but they also get updated information to help victims that call in across the country. You know, you hit some very important things, and i got two very important things I want to say. Uh, number one, I hope that you can hang in there with us. I've already gotten the uh, message from our, our producer and our engineer that we do have 30 more minutes uh, that's been added on to the show, so we'll end at 1030. And so those of you that are listening there, uh, here I invite your phone call, your questions, your comment, area code 323-784-9638. I invite you uh, and your comments and your questions, those of you that are listening by way of the Internet at www.soulofamericaradio.com, hope and healing there. Uh, we invite your questions and your comment here because this is vital. One of the things that you said just a second or two, ago, Sonny, that was so important. We started talking about knowing the resources and knowing, but you talked about the fact that we got to know what resources are out there, and then we have to have real resources. We've got to find places, and this is where my part comes in about uh, the importance of entities such as the church, such as sororities, such as fraternity, such as community groups. It is vital that those individuals become a part of what's going on here because, in fact, so much of this other information is not necessarily assimilated in the community. It is almost on a need-to-know basis. In other words, if I'm going through it now, I find out about it. But what about, you you know, here are the things that should be happening within the church. Here are the things that should be happening uh, in these centers. Because the churches where families come all the time, and yet it's still, I will tell you, and I I apologize uh, for the fact that it is, in many cases, one of the most apathetic places when it comes to this subject matter in in terms of addressing this issue, and we've got to do something better. Because families are entrusted at the church. People will come and have a a respect for the church if nowhere else. And we've got to be able to not only have this type of information available, we've got to allow people that are that are experts in this thing to come in, allow ourselves to be trained so that we can be equipped to deal with these type of incidents that goes on. And that's what is very crucial in this day and time, and, uh, and we want people to uh, be aware of that. So one of the things I do want to talk about, we're going to take another quick break here, is that on the other side of the break, we want to talk about the, the importance of these entities becoming involved. And I really want to open up the lines now uh, for those that are listening. Uh, you, uh, you know, perhaps you have a question concerning domestic violence, you have a friend, you have someone that's in trouble or whatever. Definitely, we are here for you. That is what Hope and Healing is all about. And we're definitely going to see you right on the other side of the break. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. I'm your host, J.R. Sicklin, and I thank you for joining us here. On Full of America Radio. Very special guest with us today, Buddy Slaughter. On the other side of the break, we look to entertain your calls, your questions, and bring some hope and healing. Be 
your situation. See you on the other side of the world.
I just want to say this way of thinking must be broken first. You're exactly right because what you're saying, thinking that way automatically uh, uh, increases the possibility of it happening because what it is, it right. is a form of denial. It's it's like saying, look, they will go this far, but surely they're not capable or they won't uh, go as far as taking their taking uh, my life. And that is something uh, that uh, definitely need to be pointed out. I agree with you there. Sonny, what, what do you yeah. think about that? Our caller brings up a very good point mm-hmm. there about the fact that when victims sometimes can become very, if you would, acclimated and accustomed to the, the, the uh, treatment, the mental abuse, the verbal abuse, and maybe even occasional hitting, but they don't believe that their partner will actually go to the extent uh, where they're lethal. Yeah, um, your caller is so absolutely right, and thank you so much, caller, for calling in with that great information. Um, let, let me say this. I've been the subject matter expert for the news on crime here in um, Alabama. Um, I've done that for all of the news stations, ABC, CBS, NBC, uh, local, statewide, nationally. And one of the things that I always say when I'm talking about domestic violence is if you're perpetrator tells you that they will kill you, believe them. Believe them. That is one of the things that I always leave. That is a message that I leave to resonate with the people. Believe them because when you think that people won't do something, it's usually when they will do something. And and your caller is so right. And, and being a survivor, thank God you are a survivor, we have to recognize that Homicide comes from a revelation that was given long before it happened. They were told at some point in time, if you leave me, I will kill you. I will kill myself. It it didn't just happen that way. You know, my good friend, I was talking with her actually today, Mildred um, Muhammad is the ex-wife of the D.C. sniper. She and I um, have been communicating. She's been traveling across the country. Um, Mildred has been here. And we we talked about that when she was here. We've talked about it before, and a lot of people don't know. That incident with the D.C. sniper was a domestic violence incident. Exactly. He was trying to kill her. So he killed people all around because he had already told her, I I will kill you. I am going to kill you. So we have to take... Um, that very serious, and your caller, you um, pointing this out is very critical for those that will listen to this today, those that will listen tomorrow and in the future, that you, you have to take that seriously because they'll do it. Wow. Thank you so very much. you yeah. have anything else that you want to say, caller? Mm. Oh, that's uh, – she. you all hit the nail right on the head, yes. Well, you, you hit it on the head as well because you brought up a very important point, and 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 and, and that point is need to really be uh, taken very seriously uh, because of fact. How many times do we hear people say things like, "Oh my God, I can't believe that he would do something like that," hmm? and yes. yet it's still the victim knows they've heard him say, "I will kill you." They've heard him say, yes. "If yes. I can't have you, no one else will." And the thing about it, we never take threats for granted. Never take threats as if it can't happen. As a matter of fact, I love the way you put that, Sonny. You know, it is a premeditated, it's been predetermined in their mind that this will happen. Understand, it will happen. Not necessarily because you deserve it, 
uh, simply because I said that it will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's Absolutely. the form of control. Exactly. Yes, it is. And I think it really stems from a form of um, it's a sense of entitlement the yeah. user has. Balmy. Um, on the victim. Balmy, exactly. you, you hit it on the head. Sense of entitlement, <laughs> sense of ownership, feel like I'm in control, mm-hmm. feel like I, you know, uh, and here's the thing, and it goes back to one, once again, how what do we understand about relationships? Because so many things, and long before it becomes physical, we've heard it. You know, long before the perpetrator beats, uh, uh, beats the victim up, they beat him down. They beat them down with words. They beat them down with manipulation. They beat them down with all kind of entrapments and deceit, and those things happen. And so one of the things that is so incredibly important is that sometimes we have to take a self-assessment in how we see ourselves because the fact, you know, when we get in relationships, sometimes we divulge so much. We divulge everything. We divulge our past. We divulge, you know, our insecurity. We divulge those things, and it becomes oftentimes Ammunition in the hands of the perpetrator because now they feel like they can do certain things. Now they feel like they're entitled to do certain things. And don't let them do certain things. If they do certain things, they now feel that they own you and they will remind you when you were with, you know, when you were with this other person, they didn't do this for you. You didn't have that. You struggled. I gave you this and I gave you that. And in their mind, they feel like for whatever reason you owe them. Uh, you owe them something, and they're entitled to you, and that's where you have to draw the line that you can't be bought. You're not, you know, you're not this object that they can just toss around. But that's something that has to be internalized. First of all, about the individual, and second of all, uh, the the perpetrator has to be made to know this is where I draw the line in the sand. I'm not for sale. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so very much for calling, caller. And those of you that are listening, it's area code 323 area code 323-784-9638. That's how you can reach us, and you can just hit the number one. And when you hit the number one, that will let us know that you have a question or you have a comment uh, that you want to share with the audience today. It's been a very powerful uh, time here this afternoon as we have really dove into the uh, perpetuation and the uh, proliferation of domestic violence, how it's impacting our society, how it impacts, and we've been trying to give some tools, we've been trying to give some warning signs along the way, we've been trying to get you to understand the dynamics of different things that happen, and I want to make sure that you understand this, the domestic violence. Domestic violence is not deserved by anyone, absolutely not. And we want to once again give you the National Domestic Violence Hotline number, which is 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-7233. That is the 24-hour line. That is the National Domestic Violence Hotline for those of you that are listening across the country here on Soul of America Radio. Now, this is this has been very interesting in terms of the, this, is that when I talk to fathers, Fathers who are trying to answer the question, how did my daughter end up with this type of guy? Mm-hmm. And I have to say one of the hardest things for me to have to sometime break the news is when I ask him what type of father or what type of husband or what type of person that he's been. What has been that? What has been his history? What has been his experience? Because you got to understand something. You know, oftentimes, and this is the two-edged sword of domestic violence, if she grows up in a violent home, and this is what she's also conditioned to, and her mother is being a part of this and being victimized, she too 
may internalize the fact that this 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 is part of relationship. I've always right. seen my I always see mother back. I always see my mother bounce back. In other words, what do we see? We see the escalation. We see the verbal abuse. We see those things, and then the violence behind closed doors. And after an hour or so, or whatever the time period, we see the mother, the vic- in most cases the victim, you know, emerge from the bedroom, <laughs> go back to cooking, go back to doing clothes, go back to doing ironing or whatever, and it becomes just right. an after part. And so that sends a profound message. And so when she's in a relationship and it becomes that way, Part of what she's seeing is this sense of tolerance, that I tolerate this. So fathers that find themselves asking the question, how my baby got into this, must first ask themselves the question, what did I, what might I have done to contribute to this? You know, right. and not to put themselves on a guilt trip, but to look deep and think about this even now. Because even inside of uh, even inside of batterers intervention groups that I've done, uh, um, one of the things that I try, my angle, is to get the perpetrator to see through the eyes of a child, because in most of the cases, each of them themselves were exposed to domestic violence as children. So the Sonny definitely speak to this whole thing. It's a cyclical type thing. You know, uh, they grow up seeing it, they internalize it, and, and in spite of the fact of saying, I'll never do this, or in spite of the fact of hating to see their father or, or that person perpetrate violence on their mother, they find themselves doing the same thing. So definitely just elaborate on that just for a little bit. Yeah, we you know we know that oh, more than 10 million children witness domestic violence each year, and even as as young children, as young as uh, Cassandra and Javon's daughter, she won't remember the particular act probably, but what she's going to do is she's going to internalize what happened after she grows up and she's able to read and articulate and understand what occurred between her parents. And the psychological trauma of that um, is going to be significant. Uh, hopefully she won't become um, one of those children who is so attached to that type of stigma. But one of the things that we find from children who witness domestic violence is they sometimes can either become perpetrators or they become victims. And that that um, behavior perpetuates a continual cycle of violence that occurs from emotional, psychological, and, and social transitioning throughout the, throughout their lives. And they take those behaviors with them and they engage in relationships later on in life and they exhibit those exact same behaviors either as the perpetrator or as the victim. And it might not be the parents that exhibited that type of behavior, but it might be a, a close family relative that they saw that type of behavior occur continuously or at enough times where they think that that is appropriate type of behavior. So, you know, how do we address and turn around this cycle of violence? Because we also see adults now who may have gone throughout many years and been perpetrators and been victims, and nothing happens except you get to what we saw with the church where so many years have passed, and then all of a sudden somebody's the victim of a homicide. You know, you're exactly right. You know, and we have to be very mindful of those things that are happening. You know, and it's kind of it's important because the fact it opens up a whole new door. And this is what I mean by this is that let's just talk for a second about relationships because 
relationships. We're in them. We're, we're involved in them. We we all hope to be right. in one, and we all hope that uh, we hope that it's something that will be uh, uh, you know fulfilling, something that could last a lifetime. And yet, it's still we see these type of things happen. And I, I've got to point out this part. The abusive relationship is not something that just happened to people that we consider uneducated in, in terms of academically. Because right. what we see, there was a study done by one of the Ivy League schools here just a few years ago that blew my mind that talked about the fact that black educated women were at a greater risk of abusive relationship than their uneducated counterparts. Exactly, women, and some of those actually sit on the bench. Exactly right. And so we see that happening. So and I know that we're taking a, a, a turn inside of this right now, but I, I think we need to bring this up because I think to a certain degree there is this stigma of believing that people that are in domestic violence relationship victims or somehow or another, uh, you know, uneducated, they're somehow or another ghetto fabulous or they're somehow or another, you know, uh, you know, not not fully there, somehow or another they are, you know, uh, you know, one foot out, you know, one foot below poverty or whatever. And we have to dispel those myths because it happens around and across the board. You just exactly. said about them that sit on benches. You're talking about those that are even in the church, and that's funny where it is. Uh, there's a whole, I have a whole collage, unfortunately, of pastors exactly. and clergy that have been perpetrators of domestic violence, not to mention the poor uh uh, first lady, and oftentimes women in the church that hold position that are suffering in silence because no one hears their cry, and going back to a whole different set of reasons that you mentioned earlier, why do they stay? Here's a case where they truly are trying to protect the image of their husband who may be going exactly. to perpetrate. So here it is. Exactly. They want to protect the image of, the, of him. They don't want to feel like they're hurting him or hurting the church, although they're being hurt. And so in many ways, unfortunately, they they are enduring so many things for a reason that they think is right. And the problem and one of my jobs is is the fact is to liberate them from, from dogmas and liberate them from, if you would, uh uh from um uh heresies and and, and liberate them from dam damageable doctrine and damnable doctrine that makes them feel like that God is holding them hostage to these type of abusive relationship and it's happening and so people have to come off the you know you know it's not all the stuff that you always see on youtube you know someone had posted the other day on, on facebook uh, where here's a situation where the guy started off you know uh trying to handle his girlfriend and <laughs> nine of the 12 minutes of the video was her on top of him beating him and telling him what he wasn't going to do when we exactly. see those type things, we generally label that. Uh, they're ghetto. They're this. They're that. But what happens when we see the doctors, the nurses, the professional, the educated? Mm -hmm. I mean, domestic violence and dating violence happen on college campuses. It happens exactly. in oh, workplaces. Yeah. It happens across the board. So, you know, we can't sit there and snub up our nose and think, well, that will never happen to me. Uh, that doesn't happen to me. The reality is that it does happen, and it's happening to people that you would never think that it's happening to. It's happening to folks right around you. And unfortunately, it's happening in the church, but we become such a professional uh, masquerade uh, assembly that people don't come forth, and they don't come forth in their pain. And I'm telling you, I, for one, have said that when we until we start investing in the family again 
until we start investing into these things to bring about healthy and safe families, we're going to miss the mark of really where ministry is inside of the church because we are we have conditioned people to wear masks. People come in, they got to wear think, a mask. And you touched on a um, uh, significant point there when you started talking about first ladies. And with the conference that I told you that we're doing here in April with the Birmingham Police Department, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and FBI, um, victim service providers, and so many others. One of the things, uh, segments that we're going to have is specifically for the first ladies of the churches. And that segment is going to be conducted by a former first lady who is going to talk about her personal story. I also think it is very powerful when you start talking about pastors in the church and you know there's money in domestic violence there's money in this teaching but we actually have to have people that have a passion for this and not those that are driven by finances those that want to really change the lives of people who have the expertise to do it and not just those who want to participate in the financial gain from it, because this is serious business. You are talking about impacting and changing people's lives. We have some really great pastors here who are involved in that conversation who want to do it for the right reason, and then you have others who don't want to do it for the right reason. And, you know, uh, people that sit on the bench, lawyers, judges, doctors, doctors, Lots of different people who are engaged in in being victims, and and they don't know how to get out either because they're trying to protect an image, and the image becomes more important than their own safety, and 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 that's a hard reality. But you're right; everybody that's doing this is not ghetto. Exactly. And I I go to a lot of college campuses, and I was just on the campus of of Miles College uh, recently. And I'm so grateful to the staff, uh, Dr. French, and the staff at Miles College because they bring me out regularly to talk about domestic violence on the campus of Miles. Um, I also was on the campus of Sanford University um, recently as well, talking about domestic violence. I teach domestic violence on the campus of UAB Sanford. I've been to um, UA in uh, Tuscaloosa. Lawson State, been talking to fraternities and sororities. So there's a lot of conversation that I'm having um, in the area of domestic violence, but we have to do more. We have to do more. People have to want to be engaged in this conversation. And you're right, we have to have real conversations. We have to have real situations where we're talking to people who are not um, below the poverty line and and involved and engaged in this type of behavior. We're talking about um, doctors who engage in this type of, and I'm talking about perpetrators now. Exactly, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and and law enforcement officers. We had a law enforcement officer that just recently, you know, lost their position. So, you know, and and I'm a part of that whole network where um, law enforcement officers and, and the blue wall goes up, in some cases, but a lot of times that doesn't happen. People are too um, serious about domestic violence issues, but when you, but then you do have those incidents where law enforcement officers 
are um, committing homicides against their spouses. And there was one particular case that involved a uh, female law enforcement officer that killed her husband. So we, we just have so many dynamics going on when you start talking about domestic violence. So many people are getting hurt and damaged. And you only hear about the the huge cases that come about, but there's so many cases that you don't hear about, and they are just as important because they involve someone that somebody Absolutely. loves. They're somebody's Absolutely. child. You know, it's somebody's son, somebody's somebody. daughter, and you know, a lot of times we want to look at the perpetrator's family and say, oh, well, it's their fault. Everybody loses in domestic violence. Nobody wins. There are I no think, winners. I think that's a perfect point uh, to bring at this time. We're right up against the break. It will be our final break of the night. If you're listening tonight at area code 323-784-9638, at our last, 15, uh, should I say our last 12 minutes here, we want to make sure that's open to you. If you have a question or comment, uh, definitely, we, we invite you uh, to just hit the number one on your keypad that will let us know that you want to be heard, you want to have a question or comment, and we invite your question or comment at this time. And uh, definitely we welcome you uh, here. You're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. I'm your host, Dara Ficklin, and you're listening to us on the Soul of America radio. Join us right after the break as we continue on with our conversation. Addressing this Jay Thickland, after this. This is the Soul of America Radio. Your host, J.R. Thicklin. And remember, you can catch this show every Monday night, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 8 o'clock p.m. Central. And give them a call tonight at 
and welcome back to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. I'm your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so glad you've joined us here on Soul of America Radio. And I'm grateful tonight for our very special guest, Miss Sonny Slaughter, uh, who has been absolutely tremendous guest here. We, we've talked about a, a just really a, 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 just a plethora of things as it relates to domestic violence. And uh, we would be remiss if we did not give you the hotline number again, the National Domestic Violence Hotline. It's 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. And in our last few minutes together, we definitely want you that are listening by radio, uh, should I say that may be listening by phone, area code 323-784-9638. If you have a question or comment tonight uh, that you like to voice, just hit the number one on your keypad, and we will acknowledge you there, and we'll definitely have you We'll definitely uh, get to you and uh, get to your question and answer here, uh, Sonny. There, there's so much that is that needs to be done, and we know that even inside of this movement of domestic violence, that even internally, we we have we have our differences. We have our differences within the movement. We have our differences as far as the approaches that that we feel like yeah. need to be taken, and we, then we have our differences when it comes to the fact when we feel like there's a population that is truly underserved. You know, and that kind of get kind of get you know broad stroke uh, and covered up with everyone else. But we recognize yeah. they need the attention that they need, and and that's why that we have to do all that we can to make it happen. Um, you know, strong advocates such as yourself, uh, myself. You mentioned our dear friend Mildred Muhammad uh, there, yeah. and, and what a story that is. You know, um, I think Mildred and I were together back here just a couple months ago. Were we? I guess no. I guess it was yeah. June. There at our victim conference, uh, Florida Network of Victim Witness Services conference here uh, in the state of Florida, and uh, definitely have been a part of some other things together. And uh, Mildred is one of those stories that that kind of basically depict to us that a, a perpetrator doesn't always go the conventional means to get to their victim. They may exactly. torture their victim. They may end up torturing and hurting other people in the process of getting to their victim. So this is a very important thing as we reach out. I mean, uh, we we got young people out there, Sonny. We got kids in middle school and high school that are inside of abusive relationship, and they are being tormented, and they're being bullied, they're being intimidated by their quote unquote boyfriend and girlfriends, and right. and, I, and I'll be remiss uh, because even in today's uh, society, more prevalent than, uh, than ever, Sonny, that we're dealing with a, pheno- a phenomenon that is happening at an increased rate, even amongst our middle schoolers and high schoolers, yeah. where we're seeing girls that are literally being abused by their lesbian girlfriends. And a lot of exactly. times girls are being uh, abused by uh, girls who basically have said, you're going to be mine, although the victim may not be a lesbian at all. But because exactly. the lesbian girlfriend says, I like you, and you're going to be mine, this has become a very prevailing issue. So as I bring this up, I bring this up to get the audience to realize that this is a very broad, very complex area that domestic violence have definitely uh, extended itself to. And, you know, Jay, I've been um, teaching teen dating violence um, in our state and in our city here. For, for many, many years going out to the different schools and the increase in um, uh, the LGBT community, and that's the lesbian, uh, gay, bisexual, transgender, and uh, queer and questionable community, there's so much domestic violence that, that was not being adequately addressed. 
address. This year, um, I was privileged to be selected, um, and I don't even know how I got selected, but I have been participating in phone calls and informational and um, things with the White House, actually. I received an, an, a, an email um, requesting me to be on conference calls with uh, the Office of the Vice President, um, Joe Biden. Biden. Exactly. Yeah. And um, we, we've talked about several different things, and um, I've also had the pleasure um, of being on the phone with the president's uh, key advisors, and some of them have come to Birmingham. But during our conversations, one of the questions that I asked, and this is going to go back to something that you were alluding to earlier, was very specifically when we start talking about uh, cultural competency and, and, and cultural training and what that looks like on the ground and exactly. and, what, and the dollars that match up, that, that really don't match up enough um, with what that looks like in underserved and underpopulated communities. We always like to say minorities communities, but sometimes we need to be more specific because minority brings in a whole bunch of everybody else, and we need to say the African-American community specifically to address some things just like we need to specifically have money and designate it and talk about the LGBTQ community and, and monies directly for those types of relationships that involve domestic violence and how those numbers translate into the numbers that we actually see because those numbers equate to people. They equate to victims. They equate to perpetrators. And a lot of times we don't want to have these conversations we don't want to talk about what's really going on. And I'm ready to talk about what's really going on. There's not enough funding in minority communities that look like us, that look like African American. There's not enough funding that's going into the LGBT community to address this situation. This is not about whether you have a moral conviction about it. This is about a social issue that involves a crime and regardless of what the sexual orientation is, that is what that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about victims and perpetrators. You're exactly right. And I'll tell you this has been absolutely great. I can't believe that we're all we're almost right at the end of this show, but one of the things I wanna say and I and I say it very boldly, because there's so much work to be done in our communities and, and inside of it. You know, we everyone tries to start at what we consider the center of our community, especially the black community, is the church. But we got to have more churches that open up and, and are willing to address this and and as you said, we have to be passionate about this. This can't be something that's number fifty on your agenda because you're not going to properly deal with families. I mean, I'm talking about I'm dealing with parents who are who are having a discussion with me about their daughter who's now being abused by her girlfriend, and the parents yeah. had no idea that she had a girlfriend. And how do I handle this? You know, uh, here are questions that here they both sing in the choir. They both are part of the church and pastor. No one knows what's going on. No one knows how to address it. No one is addressing it, and so it's going on. So there, there's so much to be done, and we got to continue. To sound this alarm, we got to continue to do those things. You're right, funding is there. We've got to go forward, and we got to understand that it's not. I mean, it's not just money, just for the sake of money. It's the money that's needed in order to uh, really reach these uh, populations. is very important, and it's interesting. And I and we're right on. We're right at the end of us going out here. But one of the things you talked about being culturally competent. You know, 
I, I, I'm a certified cultural competency specialist from from the health industry and from the social industry. But when we begin mm-hmm. to place that inside of domestic violence, it takes on a whole nother level altogether. Oh, and, and that's why we have to be able to address this. You know, what are we going to do? I've got to have you back on again in the very near future. Uh, 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 we got to have you back. Uh, definitely the boards show that we've had a lot of callers, people enjoying the broadcast. You've been an absolutely fantabulous, fantabulous guest tonight. And, uh, look, I don't know if you want to give there's any information. you want to give anyone information how to reach you or a website, anything, please feel free to do so. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for having me on. Gosh, um, you know, we've been doing this for many years, you and I. It's amazing how we connected and met, and we are doing this work and so passionate about it. Um, I'm available to anyone that needs my assistance and services, either training-wise. Just you want to call me, reach out to me. I can be reached at telephone, um, area code tele- uh, 205-538-1422. Just let me know that you're calling about domestic violence. Leave me a message, and I'll be sure to get back to you. Once again, my telephone number is 205-538-1422, and um, we have to keep the conversation going. This has been a great show. You know you can always reach out to me. I know I can always reach out to you, but I want others to know that they can reach out and get some information and help as well. You know, things. these are terrible times that we're living in, and people have to have um, services and resources available. If I don't know, I'll find something for you. Absolutely. Well, folks, this is the end of the show today. We thank you for listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, right here on the School of America Radio. I'm your host, D.R. Sickland, and I'm so glad that you join us. Join us next Monday, the same time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on School of America Radio. Until that time, God bless you. Good night. Stay safe. But here